Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. If Tiger comes back and is in contention Saturday and Sunday, first of all, it'd be remarkable to watch and an incredible comeback story for Tiger Woods. But think about what it would also tell us about the ability for so many athletes right now to extend their careers and rise to the top long after you would have thought they were gone. Now, Tiger really shouldn't surprise us because I think Tiger's, what, only 42 years old? And being 42 years old is not young in golf, and there's obviously a lot of much younger guys that he's competing against, but 42 is pretty pretty young. So, But Tiger, in conjunction with how fallen off the face of the planet he was with injuries, if Tiger were able to be in contention for the Masters this year, you would have a situation where Roger Federer, who I believe is going to turn 38 this year, if I'm not mistaken, is the best tennis player. You would have a situation where Tom Brady, who is about to turn 41, would arguably still be the best quarterback in the NFL. Maybe that's not 100% fair. Maybe you go with Aaron Rodgers, but regardless... He's at the absolute apex of his craft and had an incredible season at the age of 40. You have LeBron James, who is 33 and will turn 34 next year, having one of the greatest seasons of his life. You start to look around, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, when you consider their ages, for all of those guys to arguably be at the apex of their sport, it makes me wonder... Makes me wonder a little bit. Is there some sort of magic elixir out there that high-profile athletes are using? Is that a crazy question for me to ask? If Tom Brady is as dominant as he is at 41, if LeBron James is as dominant as he is at 33 going on 34, if Roger Federer suddenly is back from the dead 
at roughly 38 years old. And now if Tiger Woods suddenly comes back from the dead at 42. I don't know. I just, I sit back and I think, man, some of these guys know each other. Have they figured out a way to prolong their athletic ability in a way that wouldn't have existed a decade ago and certainly wouldn't have existed a generation ago? I know that we eat better. I know that we are healthier. I know that in general, the average 40-year-old in America today who is athletic is in better, much better shape than the average 40-year-old would have been 20 years ago. I don't think there's any doubt about that. If, that's the average, if you're working out and stuff. Now, certainly if you eat poorly, if you've got bad habits, all those things can factor in. But I do find it a little bit almost, hate to use the word, but steroid era-esque that suddenly all of these top athletes across the landscape of sports are able to miraculously extend their reigns of dominance. Especially when you're Federer and Tiger Woods and you're coming back from periods in your career where it seemed as if you would never be relevant again. Tom Brady's been fairly consistent, and I think LeBron certainly has been fairly consistent. But still, if you factor in their age relative to their existing levels of sports dominance, they're off the charts. And the last time we talked about people being off the charts was when? Steroids era in baseball. You're like, no, no, no. The reason why these guys are hitting so many more home runs and why their careers are so much better, Roger Clemens suddenly able to throw the ball 100 miles an hour again. Barry Bonds is out there hitting 70 home runs. No, no, no. That's because their training methods are better. That's because they're just a lot stronger than they used to be. Oh, it's because of steroids. I hate to be the guy who's going to like pour a little water on the campfire, but all these guys suddenly being dominant at advanced ages relative to their typical sports performances does make me wonder how all of them have suddenly managed to prolong their longevity and to make themselves not just last longer, but last longer and be better than a lot of younger guys playing their sports. Just a question. Think about it a little bit. I'm going to be enjoying Tiger Woods regardless, but it does make me raise a couple of questions. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. We bring in my guy Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter, 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. He's on early in the morning now. LT up with us. And LT, as we roll into the Masters, I got a question for you. Is it fair to ask the question? Look across the the scope of major athletics right now. Tom Brady, 41, certainly one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL coming off a Super Bowl loss, but a great season for him. Uh, We've got Tiger Woods, who at the age of 42, I believe, is suddenly back in the, like, he looks like the old Tiger Woods. I mean, he's one of the top favorites to win the Masters this year, which is unheard of relative to what you would have expected before. Roger Federer, right around 38 years old, suddenly the best uh, tennis player in the world, comes out of nowhere to win two majors last year. I believe he's already won the Australian Open this year at an age when nobody else has done it before. LeBron James, 33, going on 34, the best player in the world in basketball. I give you all four of those athletes, and we say, oh, they're just working harder, they're training better. Isn't that the same thing we said about baseball when steroids is going on? 
is it possible that the top athletes in the world are using something that is making them return to dominance long after they otherwise would have slunk off into obsolescence? You, you always have a conspiracy theory. Um, I, I really don't know what they would be using. I mean, why why would those guys be able to do it and somebody not, somebody else not be able to do it? I mean, uh, well, I, let me Let me give you my conspiracy theory. Uh, yeah, please do. We know that Roger Federer and Tiger Woods are great friends, right? I mean, they, they Tiger would go and travel and go watch Roger Federer and everything else. Federer fell off the planet as a top uh, tennis player, got injured. For years, he did not win majors, and it seemed like his career was basically over. And then, boom, he's suddenly back and better than ever. Tiger Woods, it seemed like, may never even play golf again a year ago. And then, boom... He's suddenly back, and not just back, look at him. I mean, he looks ripped. He's driving the ball like he's crushing the ball off the tee. He seems to have his old swing back. I mean, everything about his game is differently different. You remember LeBron a couple of years ago looked like, man, what's going on with LeBron? Then he takes a week off, goes down to Miami. You remember this? Like, suddenly comes back, and he looks like he's 18 years old again. He's revitalized. And, uh, and obviously, Tom Brady has kept up a level of performance over time. My suggestion would be that the top athletes in the world have the ability to experiment and use things that your average athlete would not and that these guys are so competitive that it's possible. It's at least possible that they're doing something that is suddenly extending their careers, and not just extending their careers, extending the level of dominance of their careers, and that probably it's spreading through the sport. Right? There was that first in baseball, a couple of guys that were using steroids. And then Barry Bonds actually came to it late because he's like, wait a minute, these guys are getting a lot better against me. And we made the argument back in the day, oh, they just have better training regimens. They just have a different caliber of nutrition, all these things. Then we were like, yeah, and actually they were just using steroids. I just see all these old guys in sports extending their reins of dominance, and I think it looks suspicious. Okay, I, I'm going to buy into the conditioning and diet, and I'm just going to buy into the fact that the four guys that you mentioned, LeBron, Tom Brady, Federer, and Tiger Woods, are just some of the greatest we've ever seen. So I'm not buying your angle on this. Um, as far as the steroids in baseball, it just became rampant, and you know, guys in the clubhouse would be doing it, and they'd get hot, and um, a guy's numbers were going up, and it was just infectious. And a lot of those guys were doing steroids because I talked to some of them because it made them look good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely. It's the old, let me it's ask the you. Old, it's, it's the old American Beauty, Lester Burnham. I want to look good naked. Here's the other thing. Everybody's like, "Oh, steroids are awful." If I told you right now, and by the way, we haven't seen like we've seen a lot of negative influences that come from playing football. Right? There are a lot of guys dying off early. There's a lot of people who uh, who otherwise probably would have lived an additional decade for football players that because of CTE or having all sorts of health issues. I think I'm correct. You may be able to point to some, but I don't think we've seen anybody die from using steroids during the baseball era. In other words, there hasn't seemed to be an increased mortality risk, at least so far, that I've seen being covered in the same way for the baseball steroids era as there was for just the football, playing football and CTE level. So my question for you is, what percentage of my listeners right now do you think if they found out that they would be 40% better at their job, would take us would take a uh, performance enhancing substance. 
Well, it depends on the age. You know, I think we go back and we're in our early 20s. I think almost anyone would say, look, if you can be 40% better, if you can make 40% of the money, uh, but you're going to lose about five years of your lifespan, I think, um, you know, 80% of people would probably pull the trigger on that. But the problem is asking that for somebody that's in their 20s and somebody that's in their 40s or somebody that's in their 50s. And as far as the Major League Baseball guys, um, and they're not becoming – you know, an epidemic of guys, you know, dropping dead from, from the, the, the steroid era. I'm not going to be surprised if that doesn't happen in the next 10 or 15 years. You got to remember a lot of these guys are only in their forties. Yeah. And, uh, did we not, did we not have like a, a an epidemic of wrestlers dropping left and right? And I know it's on a different level. Um, but I'm just, I'm not going to be surprised if, if the, uh, lifespan for, for the average major league baseball player, in the nineties and into this, um, you know, this past, uh, decade is going to be shortened a little bit. How much are you hoping Tiger Woods either wins or is in contention in the masters this weekend? Well, I hope he's in contention. Uh, you said it, it's, it's amazing where he is, um, as opposed to where he was a year ago. You know, there were the majority of people were saying this guy not only will never win another major, but he'll never win another PGA tour event. I mean, the back was just uh, a complete mess. Uh, he was a shell of himself. Uh, not only does he look the part now, he, he he's acting and, you know, he's he just seems like the old Tiger Woods at 42. So I think he'll be in contention. I think it would be way too fairy tale for him to win this thing, Clay. There's a lot of people out there that believe he will win this. I'd love to see it, though. I can't even imagine what the ratings would be on Sunday if he is in contention and ultimately won this thing. But I, I'd like to see it. I've made the argument that Tiger Woods for golf is more important than any single athlete for any sport other than Michael Jordan in the NBA. People now talk, they say, oh, NBA ratings are so high. Nobody has even approached the 96, 97, 98 Chicago Bulls ratings when Michael Jordan was at his apex going for his third three-peat, I mean, second three-peat. And so can you think of any athlete that matters more to his sport maybe other than Jordan, than Tiger Woods does to golf. People who otherwise have no interest, and that's what Jordan did. He brought in people who were just kind of casual sports fans at best, and they watched all of the NBA Finals games that he was in. Much like with Tiger, the number of people who will get their remote and turn on the the golf tournament to see Tiger Woods, unlike anything we've seen before. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think one of the reasons is because everybody can go out and play golf. I mean, you've got guys from, you know, 10 years old to 85 that are out there and they're able to tee it up. Um, you know, the NFL is going to survive regardless of who's playing. It's always going to have the numbers. I agree with you on the NBA, although, you know, there's a balance of superstars in the league right now. Nobody's going to drive the ratings like, like Michael Jordan did. Uh, Tiger Woods is just, he's an enigma. It's just something we've never seen before. And I do agree with you. Um, you know, he's, he's the most important singular athlete for one sport that we've ever seen and and i can't imagine anything else um even being close i mean maybe maybe how about this clay how about if we had a legitimate heavyweight uh boxing contender that really captured you know um just captured audiences i mean i i don't i don't remember the last time we had somebody outside of mike tyson that was like that but that's the only other example that i could see yeah, and we date ourselves when we talk Mike Tyson because there's so many kids and so many young guys out there listening to this show who never remembered growing up with Mike Tyson. And, and it's even hard to contemplate. And they're like, well, I remember Floyd Mayweather. And I'm like, 
yeah, multiply Mayweather by 100 in terms of how much interest there was in Mike Tyson, how much people rooted for him, how much people loved his dominance. You're down in Alabama, LT, at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. This controversy between LeBron and Nick Saban and Alabama football over a barbershop uh, sports show where guys are sitting around. I watched like two minutes of the Nick Saban newly updated uh, part two of the Alabama barbershop discussion where Nick Saban and Julio Jones and a few other players are all sitting around talking while it's being recorded. Uh, where does this rank on the dub- dumbest controversies that you have covered scale? Um, it's it, right at the top. I mean, it's two amazing personalities and egos and two of the biggest figures in their respective sports. I mean, we're talking LeBron James and, and Nick Saban. What is so idiotic about this thing is it's not even an original idea. I mean, how many guys have had the barbershop concept before LeBron James had it? This is my thing with LeBron in general and millennials more so. They have so little understanding of what came before them because I feel like they're so surrounded by current media coverage that their knowledge of history is minimal. LeBron James comes out and makes makes the argument. I think he actually believes it that he's the first person to ever think of having a group of athletes sitting around a barbershop talking about sports. Like, he legitimately thinks that that's his intellectual property. He thinks that he has a copyright on it because he's so not plugged in. This this group of millennials likes to think, oh, we're so worldly. We so understand everything around us better than anybody has ever before. No, you, you, you are focused on, like, the last five years unlike anybody else. It's like the world didn't exist before social media for millennials. And so they lack all context. You know, Clay, uh, you said we dated ourselves with Mike Tyson. How about the uh, the Eddie Murphy film Coming to America in 1988? Yeah. That's the first barbershop scene I remember. Now, it wasn't athletes, but it was Eddie Murphy and it was Arsenio Hall as different characters, and they were talking boxing. And the barbershop's just always been, you know, that place, or at least people talk about that place where, where people have an outlet and they talk a lot of sports. Um, so it's so unoriginal. If you go to if you go to Google right now and just Google barbershop talks, I mean, there's some YouTube channel that's been up since 2014, way before LeBron's concept. Um, it's just an idiotic thing. But I'll tell you, Alabama did bow down on a level. They did change the naming to Bama Cuts. So what was the name the before? Out of it. What was the name before? Uh, I think I think it was like the shop or Bama Shop or something. But now it's Bama Cuts. So yeah, they so did change the name for episode two. It is really ridiculous uh, to end up in this debate and this dispute. Um, and and you, you mentioned the coming to America scene. There have been so many different versions of this show that have been done. And isn't it crazy to you that LeBron James, as the NBA playoffs are about to begin, you know, when he's supposedly going to go zero dark LeBron or whatever he does where he gets off social media and he just focuses on the NBA playoffs, that he's worried about this? Uh, I mean, it's also, by the way, I think LeBron James's interview series is a total ripoff of Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars. So, I, I look, LeBron James is a great basketball player. I've yet to see anything that LeBron James has done other than play basketball that's made me think, oh, this guy is an authority in. He's not an authority in pop culture. He's certainly not an authority in politics. Every time he talks about something other than basketball, it seems to me there's very little depth of knowledge. And guess what? That's not uncommon. Most people who are really good at one thing are also a little bit socially awkward in other things. 
Uh, and uh, but but LeBron seems to want to be like I'm more than an athlete. I'm more than an athlete. Show me that you have a depth of knowledge and intelligence on politics or pop culture like this for me to be willing to trust you and your opinion. There's yet to be anything from LeBron other than basketball where I'm like, okay, this guy is like a a renaissance man. Yeah, you know, I'm a simpleton. If I was LeBron and the greatest player on the planet right now, I would just, I'd play basketball. I agree with you. Um, I can't decide where I stand on LeBron. I know he's a great player. I know he's a top five guy all time. And you were the first to make the point, you know, LeBron has never really gotten in trouble. This guy's never done anything to make you dislike him. But I just think he's a super sensitive guy. Um, I do think he pokes around where it's not necessarily needed. And, um, you know, he's just a great basketball player. So go out and play basketball. I'll tell you how this thing ends, though. I think LeBron ends up coming to Tuscaloosa. He's in Nick Saban's barbershop. I think uh, Nick Saban ends up going to uh, LeBron's barbershop. And I think they make cameo appearances. See, that's the the easy compromise here. All LeBron had to do, I think, is have his guys in the back channels call up and say, hey, uh, we see what you're doing. Um, I'd like to, I mean, frankly, I'd like to see LeBron James and Nick Saban have a conversation. I'd like to see a, a legitimate conversation where they, where they genuinely talked about what made them so good at what they do. That's something that I might be interested in watching. That's the smart way that this thing should have been resolved instead of the dumb way. All right, we talked early in the open, RG3 to the Ravens. Uh, what are your thoughts on RG3 and the Ravens? And do you agree with me that RG3, who set out all last year, got somewhere around one one-thousandth of the media attention of Colin Kaepernick. Almost no one. Their numbers are pretty similar. We just ran through it. Uh, so, I mean, this to me is is crazy that RG3 set out all last year and got barely any attention, and now the Ravens have signed him, and the usual, as, as my guy Jason Whitlock calls him, the Kaepernicks, the people out there caping for Colin Kaepernick, are worked up again. Um, but to me, this just is evidence of the fact that both these guys were sitting out and now RG3 is getting another chance because he didn't manage to create a situation where he hurts the overall brand and business by being signed. Yeah, look, if Kaepernick didn't have the cloud, I think Kaepernick's probably your better option here. I mean, you look at the careers. I mean, RG3, that first year uh, as the NFL Rookie of the Year, the NFC Rookie of the Year with Washington and going to the postseason and losing that game to Seattle, um, you know, it was an incredible year. But if you look at the overall career, with Colin Kaepernick actually getting to a Super Bowl. It's a better career. I know Kaepernick's a little bit older. The numbers are very comparable. Um, you know, RG3 hasn't played since 2016, and he's such a injury risk. So, you know, you, you, you only really go to a QB2 once QB1 goes down, and when you can't rely on a durable guy at number two, which RG3 is not, I just don't know what kind of an option that is. And I really wonder if it's a long-term option for John Harbaugh, who's really on a hot seat this year going into 2018. No doubt at all. Uh, LT, thanks for the time. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the Masters. See you, Clay. Will do. That's Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor Jocks 94.5 down in Birmingham. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Did you guys ever stop rooting for Tiger? I mean, I think there's a certain segment of the population out there that was not necessarily a Tiger Woods fan, I think over time, my philosophy is that people are fair. And what I mean by that is sports fans have a good sense of justice over time. But in any individual year or in any individual month, it can swing in terms of who you like and who you don't like. And what I mean by that is 
I think a lot of people stopped rooting for Tiger Woods when he had problems in his personal life, when he started to fall apart, everything that was associated with that. But I think a lot of people, myself included, I never really stopped rooting for Tiger. I like Tiger. I don't really necessarily find myself rooting for golfers. I root for the gambling bets that I place. Uh, I think Tiger makes golf better when he's in contention. It's just more exciting. But I'm not really a fan of a particular golfer unless I know him. Like There are a lot of golfers that I know personally who I like to see well, do well, and there's lots of people that I gamble on that I like to see do well. But that's kind of the way that I watch the majors. I make my gambling picks and everything else. But I do think there's a big segment of the American sports fan population out there that may not have loved Tiger Woods back in the day that now definitely does love Tiger Woods or at least root for Tiger Woods because they feel like he's been treated unfairly. Because they feel like the way that Tiger's personal life was examined. We talked about this on the show, I think, last week. I think Tiger Woods, unlike any other athlete, has had his private, personal, sexual life examined to a degree that's never happened before. And I think there's a lot of people, I said I was one of them, in sports media that said, you know what, I think we kind of got this story wrong. I think the idea that it mattered whether Tiger Woods was faithful to his wife was not, and the stories were ridiculous and funny and sad and you know all those things all rolled into one. But really, no other athlete's been covered like that. And I've said before, I'm not a guy who believes that presidents should be covered like that. I don't care who Donald Trump slept with. I didn't care who Bill Clinton was sleeping with. I just, I don't care um, in terms of my opinion of them as a president changing, just like I didn't care about Tiger Woods and a golfer. And I thought Tiger handled that poorly. I think if Tiger had just come out and said, look, I was unfaithful to my wife. Uh, I was a bad husband. I hope to be a good dad. And I'm a golfer, ultimately, so I really don't think what I do in my private life should be a massive story. I think most people would have been on Tiger Woods' side then. I think when he had that, like, hostage press conference where it looked like he was, uh, you know, like, admitting, you know, like, like he literally he looked like he was a hostage. And he was standing up there and he invited all those people for his personal apology tour and everything else. Just don't do that. Like, it was so socially awkward, so incredibly uncomfortable Just be like, look, I'm a rich guy, and I thought I could be faithful to my wife, but it turns out that I wasn't able to be faithful to my wife, and I'm just going to try to be a good kid. I apologize to my wife. Like I said, I hope to be a good parent. I know I'm not a good husband. Maybe one day I can be a good husband in the future. Tiger Woods and Derek Jeter to me are fascinating because Derek Jeter was smart enough to know that he didn't want to get married because of all the options he had as the best Yankees baseball player. And as a result, he dated all these famous women. He slept with women left and right, and everybody thought he was awesome. And now he's finally married a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, and she's like 20 years younger than him, and his baseball career is over. And he seems to be like, you know what? I had my fun. Now I'm ready to be a dad. Now I'm ready to just uh, kind of be faithful and committed to one woman. I'm going to get married now. I think the, the, the mistake Tiger made was in thinking that he was ready to get married. If he had just stayed single, I think he would have broken Jack Nicholas's record by now. I really do. I think if Tiger Woods had never gotten married, I think he would have broken Jack Nicholas's record, and now he could be like Derek Jeter and go ahead and get married now, and everybody would be like, okay, he had a great run as a single guy. Now that's changed. 
Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Joined now by my guy Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. And uh, your boy Tiger Woods teeing off soon, Jason. I want to start with this question. Um, I put up a poll. Over 10,000 people have voted this morning. Are you rooting for Tiger Woods to win the Masters? I know you are. 77% of my followers say yes, they are. I'm curious. Do you think this is the public kind of cycling back around? And we do this a lot, I think. Um, I was saying earlier, we may not be fair in the month. We may not be fair in the year. But I think generally we are fair to athletes over the totality of their career. And I think a lot of people are coming around to the idea that Tiger Woods and the way his private life was examined and everything else wasn't really fair. And so we feel like he's now the underdog, the greatest maybe golfer, most dominant golfer certainly of all time, has become an underdog that I think everybody's rooting for here in the in the uh, Masters. You buy into that? No, I, I think you're... You're thinking, you're overthinking it. I, <laughs> Tiger Woods being dominant again would just be fun and entertaining. And, it, you know, people, sports fans want to see history made. And so I just think it's all self-indulgent. It's just, man, it would be fun to have Tiger back on top. And, man, it would be fun to see him make history and chase down Jack Nicholas. And, you know, that just trumps being mad or disappointed or passing any kind of judgment on Tiger Woods since he was irresponsible in his personal life. I just don't think most people are, are thinking about it that deeply. It's just like, man, that gives us something to do on Sundays and uh, over a weekend if Tiger is in contention. Golf is just better. Other than Michael Jordan... Can you think of an athlete that means more to his sport than Tiger Woods does to golf? Yeah, I don't think Michael Jordan's on the same level as Tiger. There's never been an athlete that has meant more to his sport, I don't think, since Muhammad Ali and boxing. Uh, When Muhammad Ali went away from boxing, the sport just went on a decline that it's never recovered from. Uh, boxing just hasn't been nearly as relevant since Muhammad Ali went away. Like Tyson brought it back for a little bit, but you know, not on the same level as as Muhammad Ali. And so, I mean, we golf just basically disappeared uh, without Tiger, particularly for the casual sports fan. Uh, you know, golf has its niche of hardcore fans. But, you know, Tiger just drove television ratings and still does that, you know, are through the roof. Uh, You know, again, other than Muhammad Ali, I can't think of an athlete that's meant more to to his sport. We're about seven minutes away from the Masters officially beginning, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 on the West Coast. Um, And as part of the Masters beginning here, uh, my argument is that the Masters is – for many people, the start of spring. As we move into the start of spring, we got new stories happening, everything else. And one of the new stories for the spring is RG3 signing with the Baltimore Ravens. I know you've talked about Colin Kaepernick a lot. One of the things that's fascinating to me is RJ3 sent out, set out all of last season and hardly got any media attention over the fact that he was unemployed. 
probably, honestly, if you put like the number of articles written about uh, RG3 and the number of words written about him, probably something like a thousandth, one to a thousand. Like Kaepernick was a thousand, RG3 was the one, yet RG3 gets a job, Kaepernick is still unemployed. Do you think Kaepernick will be employed in a training camp this fall, or do you think his career is over in the NFL? I would bet that his career is over, and I would think, you know, justifiably, again, he is suing NFL ownership uh, for collusion. I I think uh, John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom are being deposed today uh, in Baltimore. And so when you do that, you know, that's an act of war, and and it makes NFL teams unlikely to sign you. And and look, I I just think, and I'm going to talk about this today on Speak for Yourself, football, it's a TV show. And, And people are acting like, and Kaepernick is acting like, he has some right to play in the NFL. I've got the talent... I must be in the NFL. I have a right. And I just don't believe that. I've seen people for years get on TV, football coaches, players, playing in the NFL is a privilege. It's not a right. And they've been saying that for years, and no one has really objected. And so if that is the case, and again, it's a TV show, and he's gone off script, and proven to be a cancer for the ratings of the TV show, why can't the television producers say, we don't want that guy. He's no good for our ratings. All this is is a television show. It's a great question. We're talking to Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. You can watch his show every afternoon. Speak for yourself on FS1. Um, When you look at this Colin Kaepernick story in general, If you were an NFL owner, and it sounds like the NFL owners are going to be trying to make a decision in May, or if you were Roger Goodell, what would you advocate? You just mentioned television ratings are down. I think it's fair to say that the NFL basically hit the skids over the last two years and that football stopped being just about football. You're a guy who got a scholarship to college to play football. You're a football fan. You're a football guy. What would you tell the NFL they need to do to get back to us only talking about football? Well, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, just us talking purely about football. But what I just advocate is is just pride in football. I think the left-wing media has a war going on against football. They, they hate football. They hate the masculinity of football. It's part of the overall war on toxic masculinity. And they've identified football as the most toxic. I wouldn't apologize. I would quit being ashamed. I would tell those guys to go F themselves. And, you know, last year when John Gruden and Sean McDonough, I think it was the Steelers-Bengals game, and they called the game disgusting and because of a, a hit over the middle or whatever with the Juju Smith hit on Vontez Perfect, their call of the game, was disgusting to me. And it was a symbol of what's gone wrong with football is they've allowed the broadcasters and and the people that are presenting the game to act like they're ashamed of football. And so if I were Roger Goodell and NFL ownership, 
I would look, man. This game is violent, and there's some inherent risk in it. But we're at a point now where we pay these guys what we believe to be a fair amount to take these risks. We're done apologizing for football. If you don't like it, go away. And so all these rules trying to make the game safe because there's this concussion narrative that I believe is totally irresponsible and taken out of context and exaggerated. And, again, when I see boxing or whatever, I don't see the broadcasters apologizing and being grossed out because someone gets knocked out. I see people celebrating that, and that's exciting, and that's what they came to see. Except who you are celebrating. Football's a great game. Football provides opportunities for people that other sports do not. Uh, and, and I would just celebrate that and quit apologizing for being football. It's a good point, and especially now that a lot of the data is out there, I'm a believer that all of us assume risk. And if you pay somebody enough, most of us would assume a high level of risk. And football players are being well compensated now for the physical uh, challenges that they put their body through. The analogy I've always made is, I bet most gladiators didn't feel great when they were in their 50s and 60s. Right, If you lived yeah. through the gladiatorial experience in ancient Rome, I bet when they were 55, they were like, man, I wish I hadn't gotten in there and, fit, and fought that tiger. I wish I, wish I hadn't gotten in there and, uh, and made all the money doing what I did. But in their 20s and their 30s and their teenage years, they literally have as good of a life as you could possibly have, and they're well compensated for it. And to me, that's the story that football should get out there. Look, it's a violent sport. It is a dangerous sport. But you can't make football safe. It's, that's why people like it, for the violence of it. And if you decide the violence is too much for you, there are a lot of people who won't watch the UFC, right? Like They're just like, man, I don't want to see the blood. I don't want to see the, the danger. I don't want to see people getting choked out. I don't want to see people getting knocked out. That's fine. Perfectly fine. You don't have to like it. I think football has a similar problem where they just, like you said, need to own the entertainment that they provide and the opportunities they provide for a lot of guys who, let's be honest, it's not like a lot of the guys in the NFL are deciding, hey, should I make $600,000 a year on Wall Street at 25 or should I make $600,000 a year playing football at 25? This is what they do, and they do better than anything else. And frankly, I think they deserve the right to make that choice. Clay, it goes down to guys like me who just played Mid-American Conference college football. I would have never been on a college campus if not for football. And uh, it catapulted me into the mainstream and above, uh, middle America and above, in my personal life. Getting that, going from the working class neighborhood (laughs) to a college campus, it put me on track to be where I am today. That's the overwhelming experience for a lot of guys that play football, but particularly black guys. I was a first-generation person in my family to go to college, and it was because of football. And and we have this narrative out there that guys like me, and, oh, my God, if you're involved in football, you're going to have CTE, you're going to block. And I just don't think it's true. All Virtually all of my friends are former high school and, you know, mostly college football players. We 
we're not suffering from CTE, knock on wood. And, again, I don't think the overall – there's a small handful, I think, of longtime NFL players that are subjected to a great deal of risk. Uh, but it's such a small number <laughs> to be throwing this tantrum. And those guys that play in the NFL for a long time have made a lot of money, generational wealth that they can pass on to their families. And I don't, th- I don't see those guys really apologizing – for having played the game. Uh, now, again, I, I'm just someone that I don't buy the concussion narrative the way it's being sold. That, uh, you know, because it's one of the, it's the disease that can only be diagnosed in death. And so I, 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 to some of this feels like a sham to me. It's been the dangers of football have been exaggerated, in my view, uh, and so again, I would just quit apologizing. Football to me is a great game, provides great opportunity and great entertainment, and uh, and great revenue to the guys that play the game at a high level. We're on in your hometown of Indianapolis, where you played high school football. You can give a shout out. I know your your team won a state championship here recently. In basketball, David yeah, in Bell, basketball. Dean Tate, uh, Jesse Bingham, great group of kids uh, at one of the greatest group of kids I've ever seen at Warren Central. Won our first basketball state championship. My school's been a dominant football force uh, since the 1980s. We won like eight or nine football state championships, but we just went undefeated, 32 and 0 and won our first boys' basketball state championship. Our girls also won a state championship in basketball this year. It is the greatest high school in all of America. Well, you're wrong. Mine is Martin Luther King in Nashville, Tennessee. But outside of that, yours probably second or third. Uh, all right, so when you uh, – when I, I, I am fascinated by that. If football doesn't exist for you as an opportunity, where are you now? Uh, I, my dad owned a bar in the inner city called the Masterpiece Lounge which I consider the greatest place on earth, I probably would have just taken that over and been, you know, the bar owner of the Masterpiece Lounge in, you know, the inner city of Indianapolis. It's interesting. Um, you've talked a lot about your dad and written about him over the years. Uh, I know your mom is, uh, is, is still alive and you still uh, interact with her a lot. 50th anniversary of the assassination of MLK was yesterday. Um, it's always hard to project uh, how things would be different, what has changed, because for a lot of us who are listening right now, we weren't adults in 1968. But if you went back to 1968 to 2018, what do you think we are getting right and what do you think we are getting wrong about race in America as compared to 50 years ago? I- I'm going to just reduce it down to MLK. MLK used a strategy uh, of respectability politics, and that's a term that's you know come up in the last ten years. And we've demonized MLK's strategy to move black people forward, even though it's been the most effective strategy in the history of America in terms of moving black people forward respectability politics 
being better than the other guy, presenting yourself and your people as the best and brightest and and being better than the bigots who oppose you and using people that hammered that point. It was a strategy that changed laws and changed the lives of African Americans. We have a group of young people today that are so immune or devoid of our own history that they have now decided MLK's strategy is stupid and respectability products is one of the worst things in the world. And in your face, confrontation, uh, Black Lives Matters, that's the strategy. And I keep asking young people, okay, besides burning down some buildings and retweets over Twitter, what has this confrontation strategy, what has it produced? Because I can show you laws and opportunities and all kinds of things that MLK's strategy produced. Why would we dump on that? Why would we go against that to adopt a strategy that only, the only thing I can see, it leads towards acrimony and resentment and not adding people to support the cause, but turning people off the cause. Why would we say that is superior to what MLK did? And I just think it's because we're foolish and we've been led astray. And so uh, we have gone from a religious-based, faith-based strategy of we shall overcome to a confrontational, secular strategy of no justice, no peace. One does, hasn't produced any results. One produced amazing results. We should uh, take a look and rethink our strategy. It's a fascinating point because you, you know I'm a student of history. And if you go back and study the civil rights movement, the goal of the civil rights mo- protesters was to be better than their oppressors, than to be better than the bigotry that they faced. And they physically armed themselves, not with weaponry, but with, as you said, establishment uh, codas. They dressed in as if they were going to church when they were sitting at the lunch counters. When they were marching, they were in suits. They were dressed as, you know, in the most uh, the most fancy clothes you could almost wear and the goal was to cre- create that dichotomy. The goal of the civil rights movement was to make America better. And they literally tried to provide evidence of that by the way they carried themselves. And you heard over and over again, be better than the people who are beating you up. And frankly, I think it's the images, I think it's the pictures, I think it was the video of that dichotomy between the ugly face of racism and the gallant face of, uh, of a, a group of people standing up for their right to vote. And I do think it's fascinating to compare that with the modern era when people actually got out in the streets and took risks, uh, by and large, based on the, the physical danger being brought to the, to bear. And social media now, where everything is driving, you want to get retweeted, you want to get liked, but you don't actually have any risk. And you don't actually have, as you said, any achievements. Is social media driving a lot of this? And in your mind, is social media rigged? I, well, I certainly think social media is rigged. I think it's driving all of this. I think we saw a great example of where we are uh, today versus the 1960s. 
Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, he's been celebrated. He's as woke as any white man in America, he and Greg Popovich. And so he shows up in Sacramento uh, last week when all the Stephen Clark uh, controversies going on, and there are marches going on. And he has been as outspoken and as friendly to the Black Lives Matter movement as any white public figure in America. And so he just happens to be playing a game in Sacramento at the time these marches and demonstrations are going on, and someone had the audacity to ask, hey, how come you didn't go to, to the march? And he responded in such a condescending are you crazy? I've got a basketball game to prepare for. Basically, how dare you ask me to go out and back up my words with my actions? <laughs> and I just thought, this is what I'm talking about. It sounds good to do what Steve Kerr and Popovich have been doing, but when it was time to really ante up and say, you know what, I really support what these guys are doing, it was like, how dare you? I've got... <laughs> You know, other things to do, more important, this basketball game. I couldn't be there at noon and play this basketball game at 7 or 8 at night. And and, and I wish the person had asked a follow-up and, and been like, well, damn, you know what? You made time to participate in the March for Our Lives because you really do support the gun control movement. And you went out and participated in that. But you give lip service to this thing because it sounds good, it'll be popular, make your players feel like you really woke and you're really down. And it's all a bunch of bogus BS. Because, again, in this confrontation, angry, uh, uh, no respect for the other side movement, people don't really respect that movement. They give it lip service but they don't really want to be involved. Jason, I want to hit you with this. We've talked some off the air about this, but what does to you, we pay attention to ratings, we look at cultural trends, everything else. Last uh, Tuesday night, Roseanne aired, uh, third episode of the season, had dominant ratings last week. This week was the highest rated show by far on broadcast television on the night that it aired and doubled every other show with 18 to 34-year-old viewers. What does the success of a show like that tell you? You spent a lot of time in the Midwest, Indianapolis, huge audience there, watched it, Kansas City where you worked for a long time, massive audience there. What does it tell us about the state of the country right now? Well, I think for television viewers and TV executives, what it says is that there's a market that's being underserved and that once you serve them anything, just a small dose of, of anything, they're going to respond passionately. And so I just think middle America and middle American values and working class values uh, aren't being served. Television is being put out for the elite and for the progressive far left. And, you know, Roseanne is a comedian. The show's a sitcom. It's, It's it has a comedic edge to it. And if you watch all of comedy, everybody for the last 18 months has been telling the same joke, the exact same joke. Donald Trump is the punchline to every joke. There's, there's no variety 
in popular comedy right now. Roseanne comes at it from the other perspective and is like, okay, I'm not going to tell Trump jokes. I actually, her character and in her private life, the actual actor, the actress that plays the role is a Trump supporter. And so that part of America, middle class, uh, working class, and, you know, I, I think there are obviously some wealthy people that are Trump supporters. Uh, they're responding overwhelmingly to that show and to the fact that there is no other television show that caters to their sensibilities. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a mistake by TV, and it's a mistake, I think, by the comedic community that there's only one joke to be told. <laughs> that kind of groupthink, I think, is dangerous. And... And so I just think they're responding to a hole in the marketplace. That's, that's kind of what capitalism rewards, people that find a hole in the marketplace. Tiger, win or lose, what do you think is going to happen at the Masters? Oh, I, I mean, obviously the odds will say he's going to lose. It's, he's going to be facing a field of the greatest players in the world. Uh, you know, even in his heyday, it would be better to bet that he'd lost. Uh, so I think the you know will he finish in the top ten? I say yes. Uh, uh, do I, I you know I'm hoping he's in the top five. That's all I really need is just for him to have a chance on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm good. Jason Whitlock, thanks for waking up early with us, my man. Enjoyed the Masters today. Thank you. Watch Speak for Yourself this afternoon. Jason Whitlock will be on there. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 